turn to Philippians. We're, um, we're halfway through this study of Philippians, and um, I want to remind us again of kind of what we're doing with this. I'm going to be sniffing now through this whole sermon. Um, here's what we're doing with this, more than a motto. Most of us are very, very familiar with the words in Philippians. Most of us in this church, we've, we've got parts of Philippians embedded in our brains, if not our hearts. And I bet if we looked around our houses, we would see little snippets of Philippians, like you know, on the wall somewhere, maybe up in a, uh, on the mantle, on a plaque or a coffee mug, a bumper sticker, a sweatshirt, maybe something from Philippians is embroidered on a pillow, you know, somewhere in your house. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To live is Christ, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. We, we know these phrases. We know Philippians. And I think adopting these phrases from Scripture to use as personal slogans or motivational mottos, I think that can be very powerful. I think that's a very good thing. But sometimes these verses can take on a life of their own. Sometimes we'll use these verses for our own needs or for our own purposes apart from this little church in Philippi and separate from what Paul is intending for us when he wrote it. And so if we're not careful, sometimes these words of Scripture that we use so often, they can be watered down. And we could kind of lump them into the same category with phrases like, where there's a will, there's a way, or the early bird gets the worm, or defense wins championships. You know what I mean? And, and it doesn't really mean much more than that if we're, if we're not careful. And so we're exploring these favorite lines from Philippians, and we're trying to get behind the bumper stickers and behind the coffee mugs to the heart of what Paul is really wanting us to hear when he wrote this letter. More than a motto. So we started Philippians 3 last Sunday, and we looked at how Paul put no confidence in the things he had accomplished. He put no stock in the things that he had done for God. In fact, all the wonderful things we would consider to Paul's credit, Paul says he actually considers them a loss. All his legalistic law-keeping, all of his rigid commandment-obeying, he considers it rubbish. Why? For the sake of Christ. That I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. That's last Sunday. Remember the, the life ledgers we opened up? Remember we, we got out our books and we opened them up, our books of, of good deeds and righteous belief, and we talked about how all those things in our lives add up to a big fat zero. It doesn't add up to anything as far as holiness and righteousness goes. All of that is a loss, Paul says, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There is a big difference between a righteousness we try to earn with our good works and a righteousness that we receive from God through Jesus Christ. Big difference. And in the following verses now, Paul goes out of his way to say explicitly, but that doesn't mean I've arrived. Paul says ironically here, paradoxically really, that only those who understand their own lack of perfection have reached a spiritual maturity. 
In other words, you are spiritually mature when you realize you're not even close. When you realize you've still got a long way to go. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect or complete, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. One thing I do. Paul says one thing. And I'm going to need some Kleenex up here. Well, I'm just kidding. Don't do it. I'm going to keep sniffing. When the Bible says one thing, it means that, that for you right now, in your circumstance, at your present time, whatever's going on with you right now, this is the most important thing. Everything else pales next to this one thing. One thing in the Bible means for you right now, this matters more than anything else. We see this a lot in Scripture. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells the rich man, one thing you lack, one thing. Remember what it is? Go sell everything you own. Go sell all of your possessions. Give the money to the poor and follow me. One thing for you, young man. Remember, Jesus tells Martha, one thing is needed, one thing. Mary has chosen that one thing. Remember what it was? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to his words. She's following him as a disciple, one thing. Remember the guy that Jesus healed, the guy who was blind, and they're questioning him. Remember that? Who healed you? How did he heal you? Where is this healer now? What does that guy say? I only know one thing. One thing I know, the only thing that matters to me right now is that I was blind and now I can see. One thing. Paul could have said those words, by the way, quite literally. Psalm 27, this is what we read at the beginning of our time together this morning. One thing I ask of the Lord. One thing. This is the most important thing to me. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And so in the Bible, one thing means the most important thing. All your energy and effort goes into this one thing. All of your, your money and your resources, it all goes into this one thing. All of your heart and soul, all of your mind and strength, it's all in this one thing. One thing, Paul says. One thing I do. Where is it? Philippians 3. One thing I do. Here we go. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing. This righteousness from God, this, this knowledge of Christ and his resurrection, I'm straining for it. I'm pushing for it. I am pressing toward it because I've not arrived. I'm not there yet. And so the call here is to keep going. The one thing Paul says is to keep moving forward. Our tendency, though, Let's be honest, our tendency is to stay put. I think our tendency is to just get to a good place and kind of stay there. But that is never God's plan. Never. 
Nowhere in the Bible does an angel ever appear to people and say, Greetings, I am an angel of the Lord. And God says, Do nothing. Thanks. And then disappears. It never happens. Gideon, yes. I am an angel of the Lord. Stay put. God bless. And disappears. Staying put is never God's plan for his people. Being saved means straining and pressing and pushing. Staying put is not the, sometimes we'll do this, you know, just kind of like we're holding our own. You'll get asked that sometimes, you know, how's church? And we, uh, you know, we're holding our own. No, holding your own, that can be a flat out sin. Paul's talking about straining and adding to and attaining and striving so that when, you're hit, when your feet hit the floor every single morning, you're saying, how can I be more like my Lord today? How can I, in humility, sacrifice, and service, take care of other people today? None of us has arrived. I've not arrived You've not arrived. Nobody's there yet. And all of us who are mature should understand that. Look at verse 15. That's what he says. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Paul's talking about Christian maturity. He's talking about behaving like adults. Let's talk about babies for a minute. We love babies, right? We've had probably half a dozen or so babies born into this church just in the, in the last year or so. And you know, the job of a parent is to spend the first 15 or 16 months teaching a baby how to walk and talk. And then you spend the next 20 years trying to get them to sit down and shut up. You know, that's, that's the job of a parent. But let's, let's think about babies for a second. Like a little baby is you know, wearing diapers and crawling around on the floor and drooling and drinking out of a bottle and saying, goo, goo, gaga. And we say, oh, it's so precious. You know, goo, goo, gaga to you too, you know. That's what we do with little babies. But if you walked into any room and you saw a 45-year-old man wearing a diaper, crawling around on the floor, drooling, drinking out of a bottle and saying, goo, goo, gaga, you would be repulsed, right? That would gross you out. You wouldn't say, oh, look, he never grew up. This man never changed. This man, he never moved on from where he was 45 years ago. Whatever. No, you wouldn't say whatever. You would say, this guy needs some help, right? We need to do something. It would repulse us. It's gross when this is happening. And that's, that's what Paul talks about in a lot of his letters. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, Brothers and, and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Paul is always contrasting Christians who think like children and Christians who think like adults. There is a difference between Christians who act like babies and Christians who act like adults. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
Paul is, uh, again, using similar language. He says, it was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? Why do we have these kinds of church leaders uh, among our communities of faith? Well, to prepare God's people for works of service, verse 12. Why? Why do God's people need to be doing works of service? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. Instead, we will grow up into Christ. It's immature thinking versus mature thinking. And Paul says again, we haven't arrived. Nobody's gotten there yet. I'm afraid, though, sometimes we act like we've arrived. We can act like there's nothing else to learn or there's no need for anybody else to grow. I don't have to study that. I already know what I believe about that. I don't have to do this anymore. I've done my time. I'm never going to change my mind about this. I already know what I need to know about that. I'm never going to try that. Paul says that is immature thinking. The mature view is I've got a long way to go. I've got a lot to learn. I've got newer and deeper things to experience. And while Paul says mature Christians will see it this way, he doesn't lash out at the people who might disagree with him. He doesn't complain or argue, right? He trusts that God will make the truth clear to them in their own time. And that tells me we shouldn't expect every single Christian to be mature. As long as God's church is made up of people, there will be people in God's church who act and think like children. But Paul says we trust those people to God's care. And we don't let those disagreements or those disruptions mess with our unity. All right, go back uh, to verse 16. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Live according to the pattern we gave you. Follow the pattern. What pattern? What, what pattern have we been given? Well, we're pretty good at identifying patterns in the New Testament, but we don't need much help with this one. This one's easy. The pattern is giving up everything and serving others. The pattern is humility, sacrifice, and service. Paul's been talking about this since the beginning of his letter, and he points it out to us in Jesus at the beginning of chapter 2 when he says, Christ gave up his heavenly glory at the right hand of God to suffer and die for the world. And we see it with Paul himself in chapter 1 when he outlines all the sacrifices that he's made for the, for the Philippians. And in chapter 2, he says, Timothy's dropping everything to come see y'all. And he says, Epaphroditus is worried about you. He's the one who got sick. He obeyed to the point of almost dying, kind of like Jesus. But he's coming to minister to you. These are the examples. This is the pattern this is the one thing, striving, pushing, pressing, straining. Why? Why would anyone do this if it's so difficult? 
becoming more and more like Christ, dying to self, giving up what you have and serving others, that's hard. Why do this one thing? Look at verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Because Christ Jesus took hold of me. Remember Jesus. Jesus, the holy son of God, came to this earth and he put on my flesh and blood. He took on my humanity. He became my sin for me. And he lives here as one of us so he can suffer and die for us. And he gave up everything to save me and reconcile me back to God. He set aside his glory. He gave up his position and his power. He gave up everything because he loves me. And that love of Christ, it grabs me. It takes hold of me. Listen, if you're just showing up here on Sunday mornings to sing the songs and say the amens and eat and drink the Lord's Supper and then you're out of here and you're in your car and you're back home and nothing changes, if you come just as I am and you leave just as you were and nothing changes, that is not the life Jesus died on the cross to give you. Jesus did not come here to suffer and die on the cross to just influence a couple of hours of your week. He came here to die for you and to be raised again to dramatically and radically alter every hour of every part of your existence. He gave himself to change your whole life. His humility and his sacrifice and his service for me, that love of Christ takes hold of me. It grabs me. It squeezes me and shakes me. It grips me and it won't let go. And so, yes, I want to know Christ. I want to become more like Christ. I want to be so much like Jesus inside and out that when a mosquito bites me, he flies off singing, there's power in the blood. Amen. I press on, Paul says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. One thing, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. I press on toward the goal. This is not about passing your final exams or winning state. This is not about losing weight or finishing the half marathon or hitting those sales numbers. This is about straining with everything you've got to become more and more like Jesus every day in humility, sacrifice, and service for the sake of others. Well, that sounds hard. Isn't it okay just to be a Christian without all this stuff? Francis Chan used to talk about these uh, recruiting commercials he would see on TV for the Marines. And he would be so inspired by these commercials. I want to join the few, the proud, the Marines. Except every single commercial showed people running. And Francis Chan doesn't like to run. They're running, they're doing push-ups, and Chan says, I knew it would be silly to walk into the recruiting office 
and ask the Marine behind the desk, hey, I'd like to be a Marine. Is there any way I can do it without all the running? Can I do this without doing the push-ups? That would be absurd, right? Nod your head if you're following me here. That would be pointless. Why? Because when you sign up for the Marines, they own you. They take hold of you and they won't let go and you're going to run and you're going to do push-ups. Why? Because all Marines run and do push-ups. And so, can we be a Christian without this kind of pushing and pressing and straining and working? Paul says, Christ Jesus took hold of me. The love of Jesus completely controls me. And so, we're held by the love of Christ like we're, like we're being squeezed in a vice. And we can't break free. And so, we don't live for ourselves. We live for our Lord and for people. We conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We, we consider others better than ourselves. We look to the interest of others. We work diligently to make our attitudes the same as that of Christ Jesus. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? We demonstrate it. We make it real. And we recognize that it is God who is at work in you. It is God who is shaping your will and renewing your mind and transforming your image more into that of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not take hold of you so you can improve your golf game. He did not take hold of you so you can buy a second house or so you can get that soccer scholarship or so you can be president of your company. He took hold of you to save you so that you could live in a righteous relationship with him and in service to others. So we strain toward what is ahead. We press on toward the goal to win the prize. That's the one thing. And that means... That at some point, you're going to have to try something new. You're going to have to do something you've never done before. Seriously. This demands exploring the new and experiencing the different. If your walk with Christ has stayed pretty much the same for the past several years, you're going to have to do something different. If you're no more sacrificial today, if you're no more of a servant to others today than you were a few years ago, you're going to have to try something new. Listen, if it doesn't challenge you, it ain't going to change you. And we all need changing. Can I get an amen on that? All of us. Nobody's arrived. We all need to be changed by God's Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of our salvation. You want to be changed. You want to be more and more like Christ. And if it's not happening, you telling me you're just going to keep doing all the same stuff you've always done and, and hope it does? What's the definition of insanity? You keep doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for different results. That's insanity. Ask Jerry Jones. It doesn't work, right? <laughs> it doesn't work. It's clinical, this problem. You don't know everything. You haven't experienced everything. You don't have everything figured out. And so you explore more and you experience the new 
and the different. You strain ahead and you press on toward that goal of transformation. And I don't care how old you are or how long you've been around or how long ago you were baptized. One thing you do is you strain ahead. Can you read scripture in a new way? Can you engage God in prayer in a different way? A way that will result in more humility and a deeper dependence on him. What can your small group do differently that will make you more sacrificial? What can your Bible class experiment with differently that will make you more of a servant to others? One thing you do, you strain ahead. One thing we do as the golf course road church, forgetting what is behind. This church has achieved much by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. We've accomplished a lot in our past. I think about the divorce recovery program and the singles ministry and the apartment ministry that had such an impact on this city and the kingdom of God. Global missions, church plants, stream in the desert, Our big picture view of the kingdom of God made this church a leader church among churches of Christ and a spiritual leader among all the churches in Midland. And all those are good things. All those are glorious things. And we praise God for those things today. But those things are in the past. One thing we do as a church, we forget what is behind. And we strain toward what is ahead. Well, what's ahead for the Golf Course Road Church? What's ahead for us is fostering a culture of transformation. Cultivating an atmosphere here where we are all expecting to be changed. We're open to change. We are pursuing change and we're expecting it to happen. We are straining toward a tighter unity in this community of faith. More cohesiveness together in Christ. We are straining toward a renewed commitment to ministry right here in Midland. A deeper mission in this city where God put us so that the gospel is experienced more and more lives are changed. We are straining toward a more diverse and fuller expression of Christ's body in this congregation. And we are straining toward a richer demonstration of and participation in the larger body of Christ in this city with more ecumenical fellowship and partnership which will answer Jesus' prayer and will bring eternal glory and praise to our God. Straining toward all that is ahead. What could possibly keep us from doing all that? What might potentially prevent us from pressing on toward the goal? Well, several things. The difficult nature of the work. It's going to be hard. Fear of the unknown. What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. That can be paralyzing. Maybe a lack of conviction or commitment, complacency, apathy, you know. Maybe a false sense that we've already arrived I've wondered about this. You know, hey, we've got our new preacher. We've got our new worship minister. We've got our new youth minister. We're back. I've wondered about that. 
Maybe there's a desire to not rock the boat. You know, things are going pretty well right now at GCR. Everything feels really good. Why in the world would we want to push? Why would we want to press? Why would we want to strain? Why can't we just stay where we are? Those kinds of things could prevent us from pressing on toward the goal. Back in 1919, that was 103 years ago, Karl Barth wrote a commentary on Romans, and he pointed out, you know, Paul spends a lot of time and a lot of ink addressing complacency. And Barth says, if we point back to our religious heritage or our ancestry, if we just sit comfortably on our religious traditions or accomplishments, if we find our safety and security in the status quo and keeping things the way they are, we're going to find ourselves in big trouble. Here's what he writes. A group of people are headed on a long journey. And along the way, they find a sign pointing them westward. The signpost is there to convey them to their destination, but instead they stop and create a life for themselves under its painted words. They build a civilization there, celebrating the signpost and telling stories of how they arrived at the marker. Rituals evolve and songs are written. Books are published and liturgies follow. A few travel on in return, confirming that the sign does indeed lead to the place promised. But the second and third generations have already built a life around the sign and have forgotten the purpose of the journey. Their life is built on stories of past travel, not on stories of arriving or on the prophetic call to get on with the journey themselves. Stand with me, church. I want us to stand together this morning. And I want us to read together this passage from Philippians 3. Let's read this with conviction, shall we? One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Listen, I know what you want. You want all of your sins to be forgiven. Amen. You want to have a righteous relationship with God and with each other. Amen. That's what we want. All of us want that. You know what the cool thing is? That's what Jesus wants too. Your one thing is his one thing. How cool is that? How glorious and great is that? And so together, church, let's press forward. Let's strain. Let's lean in and work for what God is doing in us and through us to his glory and praise. Now, maybe you're stuck. Maybe you've got kind of a status quo thing going with you and with your relationship with the Lord. And so I want to invite you right now, if that's the case, would you just find me, find one of our elders? I'd like to get our elders and our ministers and their spouses. Would y'all kind of step out in the aisle, kind of where you are, and just make sure everybody knows where you are. We would love an opportunity to just invite you to go a little deeper with the Lord. If you need to confess something, hey, I, I've 
I've been distracted. I haven't really been paying attention to what God's calling me to do. I've kind of been happy and comfortable, and I do need to get out of my box. I do need to experience everything that God through Christ wants me to experience by his Holy Spirit. We would love to pray with you and lift that up to the Lord. So let's take the time to do that right now. Let's sing together, church, and let's pray.